Section 31 of The Perfect World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mrs. L. Sid. The Perfect World by Alice Grimsour. Section 31. The Sentence Upon Eric. Sir John, with Masters, Desmond, and Mavis, arrived at Hurumori in time for the trial. They were much interested in Alan's adventures, and were looking forward to witnessing the spectacle of Jovian justice. Mavis and Clory were already warm friends, and the Rorca insisted on the strangers occupying suites of apartments in his palace. Baby John Allen had grown into a fine boy. Now nearly four, he toddled about the palace and chattered away in a quaint mixture of Kimarnian and English. The grown-ups seldom used English now, their past life seemed to be fading away entirely. They were already acclimatized to Jupiter and looked upon it as their home. Mavis, at the bottom of her heart, however, did not forget all the pretty customs in which she had been brought up from childhood, and she it was who introduced a trousseau as a necessary adjunct to a wedding. Clory took up the idea with fervor, and in future all society weddings had trousseau, cakes and honeymoons as essential parts of their festivities. Flory's mother had heard the call of Charluc Itata when she was but a small child, and possessing no near feminine relatives, the Kimarnian princess was glad to have Mavis helping her at the happiest time of her life. All was bustle and rush at the palace. The wedding was to be a grand affair, but before it took place, Eric had to answer publicly the charges that were brought against him. In the large justice hall on the day appointed, the Rorca took his seat wearing his purple robes of justice. A fanfare of trumpets announced his arrival, with his postilions and servants and attaches. All wore full court dress, and the whole scene was picturesquely brilliant. Alan had not yet been admitted to the highest circles in Jovian society. His honor was to come on his wedding day, so to meet the exigencies of the case, a special raised seat had been placed at the right hand of the Rorca, and there Alan sat in state and watched the proceedings. There were neither lawyers nor barristers in this wonderful land of harmony. The case for the defense, if so it could be called, was taken by the high priest, and for the prosecution by the highest Joe in the whole of Kimar. The Rorka listened to the statements made on both sides, and gave his sentence as he thought fairest. No appeal could be made afterwards, his judgment was final. Never had there been such a case as this one. Eric had broken the traditions of his land. If the Rorca adjudged him guilty, he would take his punishment stoically. The Rorca rose, and the silence in the court was profound. Bring in Eric the miserable, he cried, and Eric appeared in the prisoner's garb of an ugly neutral tint. This garment of shame was worn only by prisoners when charged with some heinous offense. It was something of the shape of a Jewish gabardine. About his waist the prisoner wore a hempen rope, his head was covered with a hood, and there were sandals upon his feet. "'Oh, Eric,' said the Rorca, "'take your seat upon the penitent's chair, for you are accused by this court of most grievous dealings. If you are found guilty, a terrible fate awaits you. Speak first, Lamy, Doge of Alkimar, read your charge first. And Joe Lamy, a dignified old greybeard, stepped forward and read from a parchment. Rorca, most mighty, by the grace of Mitzer, Kimarnians one and all, 
I charge Eric the miserable with grievous sins. Whether he alone is responsible or whether responsibility rests with another, unnamed but now in a state of circuor, remains to be proved. First I charge Eric with idolatry and devil worship. Nay more, I charge him with the greatest offense of all against Mitzer, the offense of offering black sacrifices, the sacrifice of living bodies, to Pyrrhix the killer, a graven image of hideous aspect. I charge him with acting as assistant in that temple of sin and death. I charge him as a heretic and a heathen. He, a born believer and the one and only creator, is a deserter from his faith. I charge him with aiding the unnamed, now circuer in his horrible, nefarious practices. All these charges are with regard to his sins against Mitzer. Now I charge him with attempting to lay hands on the precious person of our loved princess, with offering her wine that was drugged and being a party to keeping her a captive against her will. Above all, I charge him with trying to aid the unnamed, now circuer, to soil her purity, and thus to cause her to wed one she did not love. These, Aurora, are the sins in brief, and a more hideous category of evil I have never before had to repeat. Although I am old and my call must come soon, this is the saddest day of my life to think I have to utter such things against a true Kimarnian. He sat down, and then rose up Miss Rath the high priest. O Rorka, the mighty and the just, I cannot deny the charges that Lamy has brought. Long have I talked with Eric the miserable, and it is hard to offer even a word in his favor. Yet because of thy justice I beg of you to hear me out, and I will tell the tale of sorrow and shame. Eric and the unnamed, now Sir Quir, were foster brothers. The mother of the unnamed received her call while her babe was yet a suckling, and these two babes, suckled from the same breast, drew the food of life from the same woman. As toddling mites they flew their kites together and threw their balls. Then the sire of Eric, Meol, now Sirquer, took these suckling babes to the temple of Pyrrhox the killer. It is he I blame, not the innocent ones. He, with two others, lived a life of lies. Respected Kimarnians, wise fathers, loving husbands, they lived unsuspected of their evil practices, for they were all devil worshippers and offered up the black sacrifice. But Sirquer took them all into his bosom. These tender nurslings grew in the ways of sin. He, the unnamed, possessed brains and cunning. He was the leader. He it was who took Eric the miserable onto our isle of holiness, made him build him a hut, and left him there, a tool to work his will and prepare his heathen rites. Since he was of tender years he has led this life, hating it, yet loving it, fearing it, yet welcoming it. Then the time came when he, the unnamed, whispered words that affrighted even Eric the miserable, whispered words of passion for a princess. The Ipso Rorca was named, and even to that length of degradation would Eric have assisted, so deep was he in the toils of sin. Then the day of reckoning came. Mighty thunders shook the cave of darkness. The wrath of Midster tore it asunder. No more shall these perfidious practices be handed down from father to son. No longer shall sin creep out unseen in Kimar. The great white glory has spoken. The temple of sin is in ruins, and under the mass of rock and stones lies the tortured body of Waco. Whether he, too, had practiced the sins of the unnamed also, we do not know. But we do know his character was weak. We pray that his suffering on the black altar may have purged his soul 
and that soon he will be sitting in the warmth of the Tower of Help. Miss Rath sat down, and the roar arose. I have heard your case, O Eric, in silence. I have listened to your tale of shame. One thing only is in your favor. You sought not an evil life, but sin and its sorrows were taught you when you were yet a child. But, he paused, you lived the life of Kimar. You attended our services of joy that were offered to Mitzer. You knew sin was abhorrent to us. From the time when our first parents populated our world, we have fought to keep Kimar perfect. Thanks to Mitzer, we nearly succeeded. It is to prevent the occurrence of sins like yours that I pronounce sentence. Misrath, high priest of our temples, our mediator on earth between Mitzer and man, robe the sinner in the garments of shame. Immediately the gray-tinted gabardine was torn from Eric, and in its place was put a long robe of black. The covering was taken from his head and the sandals from his feet. His head was bowed in shame, and in shame he was led to the sentence bar, there to hear his fate. Through the streets of Humori shalt thou be led, said the Rorka. A rope round thy middle shall direct thee the way to go. Neither man nor woman shall speak to thee. Neither beast nor bird shall be permitted to fawn upon thee. Alone and an outcast shalt thou be sent upon thy way. Lonely shalt thy days be. Lonely shalt thou be taken to the Hall of Sorrows at Fijipo. There thou shalt live until thy beard grows and turns white with age. Should thy call come early, alone wilt thou have to meet the great white glory. No sacrament shall help thee on thy way. Neither incense nor prayers shall assist thee in thy last moments here. Alone and wretched thou shalt leave this world. But should thy call not come soon, then shalt thou stay in the hall of sorrows until thy beard covers thy face and thy middle. Then, when that time arrives, shalt thou be free to leave the place of sorrow. But thy life will be lonely all thy days for the sins thou hast committed. Miss Rath rose. O oh, my Rorka, Thy wisdom is sound, thy judgment just. May I ask but one favor for the guilty Eric? During his time of sorrows, should he perform two noble deeds, wouldst thou reconsider thy verdict and allow him freedom? Yes, Miss Rath. Should he perform two noble deeds, deeds that mark him as a true son of Kimar, then publicly shall his punishment be remitted him, and once more shall he take his place among the people he has wronged. I have spoken. The Rorka rose from his seat of justice, and with another fanfare of trumpets took his place in his state pure and drove to the palace. Alan waited to see the end. The wretched Eric was led from his place and taken through a side entrance out onto the highway. There a rope was twisted round his waist, a rope that had six ends. Six men took hold of each end, and dragging it taut, led him through the streets. On he went, a misery to himself and to those that saw him. An airbird was made ready for the journey to Fijipo. Alan begged that he might accompany it. He wanted to see for himself what the Hall of Sorrows was really like. He had no conception of it. Was it like a Pentonville or Portland in England, or did it possess some horror that no ordinary human mind could conceive? Go then, said the Rorka to Alan. Swift be thy journey there, and a swift return. Just time shalt thou have before the day arrives when Mithrath shall make my child and thee one, one on earth and one in heaven. Farewell, said Clory when Alan told her of the journey he was to make. 
tis customary in chemar for a bride to withdraw herself from all for twelve chemos before her wedding day during that time she thinks and meditates on her future state i go into silence to-morrow alan and my prayers will be all for you may you return to me in safety farewell end of section thirty one